Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 202. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, joined by my co-host, John White, at The Journeyman. Hey, John, how's it going? I'm doing great, Nick. Just want to remind everybody that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be subscribing. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Excellent. Hey, don't forget, listeners, we have graph.nerd-journey.com, a place for you to find a connected knowledge graph of all the show notes, including guests, popular topics, book recommendations. Consider it our data lake, but it's a great place to search for content in interesting ways that one set of show notes can't capture. So give us some feedback if you if you get a chance to check that out. This week is a part two with Yvette Edwards. If you missed part one in episode 201, we talked about Yvette's beginnings in the tech industry as a developer in the te- in the telecommunications field at AT&T. And she had a very interesting foray into sales engineering. And we talked about how to determine if sales engineering might be a career path for you. Talked about presentations and imposter syndrome. And then we talked about the idea of a technical career path that doesn't force you into management. But this week's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be the rest of the story, isn't it, John? That's right. Yvette actually did go into management. So I think the technical career path discussion was very, very interesting. And her take on it in episode 201. But in episode 202, we're going to talk about how she got into management, how she got it to that director level and eventually made VP. And basically the, the contrast between uh, the job responsibilities as she saw them and then and those transitions, I think there, you know, there's something really interesting there to, to hear. Also, I think what's interesting is the non-linearity of those career titles. It wasn't just individual contributor, manager, director, VP in that straight trajectory. So let's just get into the episode. Part two of our discussion with Yvette Edwards, episode 202. At what point, Yvette, do the items you mentioned, like mentorship, leading projects, actually become relatable experience for I want to go into leadership or maybe tell us a little bit about what prompted you to go into leadership and then how you leveraged that experience to convince someone that you could do the next step up, which is full blown leadership. Yeah. So I will have to admit it was the other way around. Somebody convinced me to do leadership. Oh, okay. I started when um, semantic had bought Veritas. So I, I was at that point in time had, uh, been a field a field SE and come to be an inside SE due to you know motherhood and career change and trying not to be on the road very much. So we had um, a large um, inside SE team in Heathrow, Florida. Semantic had just bought us and they had a big team in Beaverton, Oregon. And so at one point we got a new leader. And so now he had two big 
um, inside sales organization. So he had to hire, he had to do something about us in, in Heathrow, Florida. So he started having a team lead. And so um, me and this, me and, me and another senior guy kind of took turns being team leads. So I can't remember exactly how the team lead thing happened, but I think he just kind of said, Hey, does somebody want to help me out? And I think I raise my hand to help all the time. It's just kind of a, a thing I have to work on, but <laughs> I wound up becoming a team lead. Um, so I was a team lead um, in conjunction with this other person. I think we rotated quarterly or something. And so that was fine because for me, it was just, you know, taking care of the team. It wasn't to me a leadership job. It was just somebody needed to do it. Somebody needed to raise your hand. And I happened to. I'd say about six months after he had become our, our leader, he decides to actually open a rack for a management, a manager there. And of course, um, my counterpart wound up um, raising his hand to go for the interview. And I didn't. And the next thing you know, I get an invite in my calendar for the for the interview for, you know, being the manager. And I was just like, well, why would he send me that? I didn't apply for it, you know, but it probably made sense to him because I was the team lead. And so I was talking to the rest of my team and I'm like, I can't believe he sent that. I'm going to just have to decline it. And they're like, wait a minute, we don't understand because you are our leader. You do all this stuff for us and you take care of us. And we would really want you to be our leader. And the other reason was they thought that when the other gentleman who was our team lead, if he was our leader, he was more, um, he didn't care. He didn't take as much care of the group. So it was really my team telling me they wanted me to do it and they really would support me and that they needed me to do it, that I was the only person who should do it. So it was their encouragement and then thinking, okay, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for them or doing it for us. And they would make our team better if I was the leader. So that's why I interviewed for the job. <laughs> now, when you interviewed, was it, I'm going after this to win it? Or was it more, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions and make sure I know what I'm getting myself into? Um, it was definitely, I'm going to go after it and win it. It was a very intense interview process. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to do something, you know, I, I better show up and not, number one, embarrass myself. And, and you know, so I, I definitely went through making sure that I was prepared for the interview. I had a presentation deck and and I think it was also just um, going to other people going, okay, well, how do I prepare for this interview? Luckily, my sister was a leader. So I was like, okay, you know, kind of like, what would people be looking for? So I, I did do some, I did prepare myself for it. I, if I, when I decided to go for it, I wasn't just going to phone it in. You know, I definitely wanted to do the team proud. And I really was trying to win it for, for us as a team. I think maybe people who are going for that first management position don't necessarily understand how intense that can be that that interview process is going to be very different from a individual contributor process, especially if it's your first frontline management job. So is there a, a resource or a process that, that you recommend? I mean, you know, step one, have a sister who's already done it, right? But, you know, if, <laughs> if I would say you don't have that. He's saying this there, in pseudocode. Yeah. <laughs> is there something that you could recommend or, or highlights? You know, the, the, the tip that I got was have a 30, 60, 90 day plan. Yes. Yes. And I had never heard of that, by the way, John. So mm -hmm. it would have been nice. I, I Googled it. That, uh, you know, 18 years ago. But yeah. Now I have, now I have one these days, but yeah. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yes. I agree with you. So I think that, you know, a 30, 60, 90 would be, it's phenomenal. But I think that the essence of what that really means is you have to have a plan. If you're going to be the new leader, this is a, this is a leadership role. It's not a supervision role, right? We're not saying, okay, I'm going to be supervising, you know, the night shift, you know, building widgets or something, right? This is truly a leadership role. So um, you definitely should have some type of plan. Um, if you can build it out into a 30, 60, 90, that's phenomenal. 
Um, and there's definitely templates out there. But I, I would say, first of all, start introspectively, right? So we, we I have been helping teach an Emerge class here, which kind of helps um, future leaders. So I think it's really good that we have programs like that. If your company has a program like that, um, I would look into it. But I think that the way you want to start is, first of all, is leadership for you, because I think that we, we all think that um, leadership is a great next step, but it goes back to what we talked about previously. Do, would you enjoy, would you miss the individual contributor work that you do today, right? Because you may have a little bit less of that depending on, you know, what, what the job is. So you may not get to be as hands-on. You maybe don't get to meet with customers as often or whatever it is that you do today. When you get to that next level, you are going to be now in charge of caring for others. You're going to be in charge of strategy. You're going to be in charge of the HR component. So there's other things you're going to take on that you don't do today. So I think um, understanding as much as you can and asking the questions or people that are currently doing that role. So first of all, have that introspective moment. Is this really something, is this the shift I want to make? And when you decide that, yes, that is something you want to do, then I think you need to come up with your plan and your vision of how you would be that leader. What would you do? And sometimes, you know, it could be as easy as, well, definitely not with what my leader does today. I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> but that's great because at least maybe you can articulate, okay, this is what I don't like about it. Or maybe there is, and maybe you think about it in a start, stop, continue format. Maybe that would help you build a 30, 60, 90. So if you think about a great leader that you have, so, you know, maybe those are things that you would want to continue. Or if, you know, maybe our leader is, you know, he's really great at meeting with customers, but he's not great at taking care of operational things or, you know, kind of think of what the gap is in the team that you're going to take over. So that would be a great thing to build into your plan because then that's your vision, right? Or think about maybe you're you're inheriting a very phenomenal high functioning team and maybe your your goal is to help that retain that team. So find out what it is that you can bring to that team and that's how you will help build you build that program. But you really should show up with some type of vision and then understand a why me. Like what is it that you're going to bring to the table? Why should they pick you as a leader? What kind of unique sets of skills and criteria would you bring to that job? So I have to ask Yvette it seems like the more people I talk to about going into leadership, a large number of them fall into the category you mentioned where someone else suggested they go and do it rather than maybe them having the idea on their own. Is there something that in those instances we just don't see in ourselves that we're right for this other role? I, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts there. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends too. I think that sometimes we have aspirations that are just innate. And, you know, I, I meet people like I know our previous uh, semantic CEO, Steve Bennett, he had said that he wanted to be a CEO by the age of 30. Right. So, and turns out he had, um, he had built into it and became the Intuit CEO by 28 years old or something like that. So he actually rebeat, he beat his goal. Right. So I was never that person. I was, didn't have those goals, but those that have those, that's even, that's great because they know they always want to be leaders. But I think that, um, there are those of us that just always want to do their best and always want to do more. And I think that the ones that get tapped on the shoulders are the ones that are already doing the job. <laughs> so I think that's one thing that I've been taught as well is if you kind of want that next step, you kind of need to do that next step, which sounds really sort of backwards, but you just start picking up those responsibilities and naturally, right? And it doesn't have to be natural. It can be intentional. Like, you know, maybe just seeing how you can help your current leader do more or maybe have him mentor you or help him be, or, um, be part of his or her succession plan. So just say, hey, you know, when you're out of the office, can I run the team? So, you know, you can, you can find ways to sort of um, practice those skills or take on those skills. And then those that naturally do that, or maybe you're the one that your leader depends on and asks you to take on those skills, 
And then I think those are the people that get tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, you're already doing this. You're great at it. Have you thought about doing this full time? I don't know if I answered your question, actually. It's very helpful. I appreciate it. Thank you. I think maybe uh, someone could be doing those things as you were in that technical team lead position and maybe just not realizing, oh, I'm kind of already doing some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe it's like, it was comfortable for me to do the team lead because it wasn't like somebody said, Oh, you're going to be a manager. Now you need to apply for this position. Cause again, imposter syndrome. Oh no, I'm not ready to be a leader. And I don't know why in my head, it wasn't something I was aspiring to do, but being a team lead was not scary because it was, Hey, we need, we need a team lead. Could somebody help and do this? And, you know, I looked around and, you know, you look around, you're the only one with mouse and your hand goes up. <laughs> so that's how I wound up being HOA president here in my H- in my new neighborhood. Like I'm like, yeah, we need to fight the builder. And everybody's like, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, who's with me? Oh, yeah, I guess I'm the HOA president. <laughs> Sometimes those moments happen where somebody needs to take that leadership role. And uh, it might be you. And if it, it And if it might be you, just figure out why is that. And maybe if you feel confident in that, you can make an impact and you can make a difference. And nobody else can, not nobody else can do it, but you could bring something to the table. You owe it to yourself and to everybody else to try it. I think that there's a another knife edge there, right? The the fear of of making a change like that from a focus on a technical career to more of a, a leadership career. And you know, what one is giving up and at the same time, you know, a mix of aspiration or just a a calling to, you know, help the team. That's, that's fascinating that you're kind of shining a light on it. And I I think that there's a concept that I had of that, of like needing to make a hard decision about what it is that, you know, one wants to do. And I think I never really thought about it as almost like a conundrum, right? Like, because you can help in multiple ways and, and pushing oneself forward as a technical resource can also help the team right? Oh, now we have this level of expertise or we have somebody with this profile and this impact that can, you know, you know, bring visibility to the team and and that helps that way. But there's also helping in other ways. Like you said, like maybe it is just mentorship. Maybe it is like a neo supervisory, like, or just advice or, you know, non-management advice. Yeah. <laughs> like all the, you know, the, the kind of development function without having a manager title that that also magnifies the effect of the team, right? And I guess I, I just, in my mind, I thought to myself, well, you you have to make a decision instead of, oh, you find your calling and then people ask you to just move forward in that calling. And maybe that is manager and maybe it is moving forward to, you know, senior or super senior or super duper senior. Yeah, or, exactly, exactly. Or like CTO or, you know, a CTO and or maybe all of those things and every role is important right i think that that that's that's something that hopefully everybody recognizes because every role is important and and there are callings at different points in time in our careers and the good thing about you know maybe moving forward and taking that bold step and going into management if it's not for you it's okay to take a step back and it may not be a step back it might be a step a side step you know but it's okay to say i don't want to be a manager anymore and that is exactly what happened to me <laughs> So I, um, I had taken on this role and I, you know, I had, I really enjoyed the team. I wound up managing my team there in Heathrow, Florida, but then I wound up also getting the team in Beaverton eventually. We, we acquired a company called Bindview. So I had the inside SEs in Houston. So now I had this very big team. And um, so what I would do is I would travel to Houston. 
I would travel to Beaverton, Oregon. And so, and then we acquired another company called Oteris and I got the field mid-market SE. So now I had a really big team. And next thing you know, I had a national team and I was doing a lot of traveling and I was, you know, again, I had, um, I was trying to figure out work-life balance and work-life balance at that time was important. I had a very young child, you know, I had three kids at that time and one was very young and, you know, there was just a lot of balancing and, you know, being away from home a lot was just not what I had signed up for. I was fine being the manager of the inside SC team in, in Heathrow, Florida. Next thing you know, I've got a national team and I'm traveling like crazy. So I kind of, you know, had that moment where I was like, okay, this is, it probably was the point where they needed to give me a manager underneath me because I was managing way too many people as well. But that, that wasn't quite in the cards, uh, or I didn't see it in the cards. I, I think that, you know, he was looking at giving other managers managers, and I wasn't one of the person to get another manager. So I um, had a, um, was really close friends with another SE leader, collaborated a lot, and he was actually looking for a field SE for Florida and Georgia. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll take that role and I'll travel less. I just have to travel to Florida and Georgia. Um, so I wound up being taking a step back and becoming a field SD because I could travel less than being a manager of this national large team. And I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I, I did it. I got to be an individual contributor again and I did well that year, but um, I was only in that role for about nine months. And then um, they asked me to become the manager of that team. So then I wound up becoming the Southeast SD manager in the field. So that's how I switched to field SD career, but it all happened because I took a step back and became an individual contributor for a little while. So um, I think that the good news about every single career is that it doesn't have to be linear. It can sometimes be kind of zigzaggy, but you just pick up different experiences. And I think it really matters on what's going on in your life, what's important for you. You know, for me, it was important not to kind of step back on that travel, right? National travel was just too much, but I really cared so much about my team. So I wasn't going to let them suffer and, you know, tell Houston, I'm not coming this corridor. I'm going to go see Beaverton, right? So I wanted to, I think I also extended myself because I was trying to take care of everybody and it was just too much. I was kind of having that, that true moment of authenticity with myself. Hey, you know, you're trying to do too much and it's just too much for one person to handle and, you know, have a young family at home that I was trying to take care of. So when you took the step back to field solution engineer after being a manager, was it hard to turn off some of the manager things you used to do? Because obviously you can't just tell everybody on the team what to do necessarily. Yeah. Not that I'm saying you're boss. <laughs> <saying it>, <laughs> um, no, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard at all. Um, it wasn't hard at all. But I will say that my my manager who had been a colleague, you know, he felt very comfortable leaving me in charge. Like, you know, he's like, hey, can you run the team meeting for me? So so I might have I might have uh, helped him with some stuff there. And, and I probably was a little bit more mentory than a regular colleague. But other than that, it was it was real easy to let go of all that stuff and let him deal with the forecast call and all that. <laughs> and then the best part was because, like I had said, um, Semantic had bought us, um, so you know we were from a very availability standpoint, and so we had picked up security. And I got to take my go after my CISSP, which was phenomenal. So I got to go and take a class and study and just do technical things again. So that was really really fun because I remember sending my team for you know CISSP training and I couldn't go because my manager wouldn't let managers go and I'm like what do you mean we can't go so that was kind of a nice perk because I got to go <laughs> and get certified and and geek out for a little while and I love cybersecurity so it wasn't that new for me to learn can we talk about that maybe next step because on your resume or on your LinkedIn it looks like when Veritas got spun out again from Symantec it looked like you went and you had a director role at that point. And that kind of like second level management role 
where you're managing a team of managers seems like it would be very similar skills, but it isn't necessarily all the same skills if I'm understanding it correctly, because I've never done it. <laughs> so maybe I'm asking you, is it just all the same skills? It's like, oh yeah, my reports just happen to be managers. Or is it a subtly different set of skills or is it a completely different set of skills? Yeah, I would definitely say it's a different set of skills. In some in some aspects, it could be subtle, but it, it's just like I tell many um, SDs that want to be managers is I tell them, hey, number one, you're no longer here to be the smartest person in the room, right? Because the SDs were like, okay, we know all the answers and we're super technical. And like, your job now is very different. Your job is to make sure that your SDs are empowered, that they can, you know, remove obstacles from them, right? So I think that's the hardest thing that some SEs have becoming SE leaders is sort of like if you're at a customer meeting, you, you have the answer and you're trying to answer it and you're like, no, 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 let your SE do the answer, you know, like things like that, right? Kind of let them shine. And so it's the same kind of thing in second line. You do kind of have to enable your leaders to be leaders, um, you know, definitely give them the information, you know, help them work through challenges. But unless you're having a skip level, you're not going to step in and say, okay, this is how this is how you manage somebody out or this is how you hire somebody, right? You have to let them hire people, but you have to teach them how to hire people. So there's all those things that you used to do that they are now doing and you're enabling them to do it. You also have to be hands off, right? I mean, you shouldn't tell somebody, I would never tell somebody that reports to me who to hire, you know, if they come to you for advice and, and you definitely, you know, help them make sure that they know how to hire correctly and hire the right person, but you can never specifically say, Hey, I really want that guy or that gal. This is who you should hire because, you know, they are in charge of that hiring but that person becomes part of your organization. So that's another kind of subtle nuance kind of thing that you have to do. But um, my shift was even more complicated than that because not only had I never been a second line leader, but we were sort of spinning out a new company. So we were kind of a startup, a monolithic startup, but we were definitely a startup. <laughs> and um, I had to build the America's Channel SD organization from scratch. So I had to go out and hire my leaders, I had to decide how I was going to cover from an America standpoint, right? So I did decide, okay, am I hiring one leader in Latin America, for example? How do I cover the 50 countries in Latin America? So I had to build strategy. I had to hire leaders. Um, so it was just a whole entire thing I'd never done before it was org design. Um, so that was even very, you know, that's not something you do at first line management. So it was very interesting to know, okay, here's a budget, here is a or design here is constrained. So that was a very, very interesting process for me. Um, my uh, manager at the time, and he's the one that tapped me on the shoulder. And he's like, because when he called me about it, I'm like, channel, what you, really? And director, and he's like, well, you know, you're ready for the next step. Don't you want this next step? And so of course, I'm like, okay, yes, so it was it was that. But um, again, wasn't something that I had gone pursued, but they definitely were building the org design. And, and he had me in mind, and he wanted me to to run the channel organization. And then running a channel organization is very different than running a direct SD organization, you know, because now you're enabling our partner SDs. I'm sorry. Yes, our partner SDs to understand your technology, be certified in your technology and sort of build practices and services. So so there was a lot I learned in that in that role. But I think one of the biggest things wasn't just being a manager of managers, but also how to do strategy and how to do org design. Those are all new skill sets for me. Right. Because when someone goes up to the director level, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have to build the entire organization from scratch. Right. They might just float into an existing one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was international as well. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe in, maybe I just need somebody in Brazil because that's a really big country, but you know, <laughs> maybe I'll do a NOLA and a SOLA. So that was all very interesting. Um, and I not having a lot of 
I could definitely figure it out in the States, but not having, and even Canada wasn't so complicated, but, you know, trying to figure out the whole Latin America thing that was very new to me. I even had to get a map. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew where Chile was and some of these other countries, but I'm like, I never even realized where Paraguay is or, you know, what kind, you know, and then learning tariffs and all the different things that they care about down there that, you know, we didn't care about international law. So just a lot. It was a great, it was great. You know, I probably shouldn't have raised my hand for that one or let him say, Hey, do you want to take this on? Cause it was a lot more, but it was a great learning experience for sure. As part of that greater impact you spoke to when we talked about individual contributors. So as a director, you're impacting more of the, I guess you would say the company and its impact on the region or the world mm -hmm. yeah. at large. What about keeping in touch with the lowest level individual contributors within your organization? Because you're probably not going to have one-on-ones with those folks as frequently when you're a director. Your one-on-ones would probably be more with your frontline management team, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important to have skip levels. As a matter of fact, as a, a new VP here in public sector, I've been having a lot of those skip levels all the way down to the individual contributor level. I, I think it's probably the best part of your day is having those skip levels because you really, you know, obviously it's great talking to your, to your leaders and talking to the leaders that report to your leaders, but individual contributors are the closest to the most important asset, which is our customers to our products to, you know, everything that we're experiencing. So it's so good to get their perspective always. Um, sometimes you get, you get happy ears up here. Not that you get happy ears, but people want to tell you everything's great, you know, <laughs> Which is, which is great, but I can't really help if, if everything's great, right? Like sometimes people, it goes to that knife edge you talk a lot about, John. Like it's kind of like, well, should we say we need help, you know? <laughs> but if anybody asks for help, I'm always very appreciative. And, you know, I think Nick can speak to this. You know, I will try my best to help. But sometimes that is nuanced because as it goes up the line, people make things sound better and better. But then there's frustrations that you hear at the water cooler. Oh, why don't they fix this? But then... And I've said this to people, do they know we're struggling with this? And people go, oh, well, I'm sure they know. And I'm like, well, maybe they don't know, right? So I think I go back to when I was an individual contributor and a lot of people are even here, you know, in the neighborhood when people are like, oh, I can't believe that they're doing this. I'm like, well, has somebody told the city of Winter Springs that, you know what I mean? And it usually turns out that nobody has because people assume that people know that there's a problem going on somewhere. Or, um, you know, maybe you don't want the VP to know because maybe that means you don't know you're not doing your job great or maybe they'll think you don't know something or you know whatever that fear is i think it's important as a an executive or a leader to have those skip levels because you know just check in to make sure that people know they have that open door that you're really willing to help because going back to what my why is and my and my reason for being in leadership is to make an impact and to help others and if i'm in a position where you know i could help if i knew and i don't know it it's shame on me for not knowing so I think that the best way to know is through skip levels. How do you manage that expectation of having your immediate reports? Part of their job is to filter, right? Is to not bring every single detail directly to you because that would be overwhelming probably. But at the same time, having skip level meetings, and maybe we should define that one level down from your immediate reports, surfacing issues there um, and having your direct reports like comfortable that that that's happening you know that seems like again another conundrum uh, another balancing point yeah no I, I agree with you and i think it has a lot to do with trust right i mean i i definitely you know i think one of the another great coaching thing that i that i've always been taught and i try to teach my leaders this is you know never bring up a problem without a solution right doesn't mean that your solution is going to be the ultimate solution but you know usually when you're bringing up a problem it's you know here here's what 
I'm experiencing and I think that this could be the solution or, you know, at least have an idea. I think that that um, most leaders will bring things up to their leaders with, with a solution in mind, but it could very well be because we do have such a vast organization. We do have a lot of, we're matrix. We have all kinds of different things. I think the big ones we are aware of, we definitely know if we're having operational issues, if we're having um, issues with specialization, if we're having product quality issues, I think everybody knows that. Um, that usually is a pretty big sounding board for that, but it's there's more nuanced types of things that um, maybe an individual contributor may have. And, and I also do skip skip levels. So um, in my current role, I have been doing skip levels, but I'm also doing skip skip levels. So because I'm third line, so I guess to finally get to <laughs> individual contributor, I guess I have to skip one more. But you do have to have trust with your team that um, that it's okay for their their person to have a skip level with you, right? And if there is that fear where that somebody doesn't feel comfortable and you having a skip level, then that could be, you know, a sign that there could be a problem, right? And I've never had a problem with anybody having a skip level with somebody that reports to me up my line. So I would think that if I have a manager who is concerned about their, and especially if, if, I've, if I have a skip level with somebody and they're just like, it's happened to me before, they seem really fearful and you're just asking casual questions and they look like they don't want to give you any answers or they're blinking or they don't seem very open, then you can kind of know that you might have an issue, a leadership issue. But that's not the reason I have the skip levels, but sometimes that comes out in the skip level, if that makes sense. That, yeah, that's fascinating. Sometimes it's just uh, an issue of, you know, what am I supposed to say? Like, am I supposed to be hiding like, you know, issues is like, but with a report and like manager, are you hiding it from the manager? Like, <laughs> you know, or do you, you know, do you have an open conversation there? And, and do you trust that person to surface, you know, patterns or, you know, because that's kind of the job, right? Yeah. And it might be something casual. Like I could be saying to somebody, you know, what, you know, what are your career aspirations? And then they're like, oh, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I'm like, oh, well, do you have a, an IDP? Do you have an individual development plan? So it's like, no, nobody's ever done that for me before. Then that would tell me there's a problem without them telling me there's a problem, right? Like it could just even be something mm -hmm. out of a conversation like that. But, you know, I, I, what I do with my EA, and I know John Graham was really good about that. He would just do it. He would do it randomly, like randomized. And he would just, you know, put different people on his calendar just to get to know them. Right. And so that's what I've done. And it's a great excuse because I'm new to the organization. So she just kind of, there's a lot of people that have requested. So I've been very lucky about that. A lot of people have requested to get on my calendar. And, and I told everybody I'm all hands, feel free. If you want to just have a one-to-one -one conversation, feel free. My calendar's open. And so I've had a lot of people reach out, but then on some, you know, if I hear I've got this great top talent and you know, they're a little disengaged or they're feeling a little down, then I'll just check in on them and I'll put some time on their calendar. Sometimes that's a good one, you know, just to, especially like during the pandemic, there were a lot of people that were hurting or isolated. So I really went out of my way to try to check on those, you know, just, just say hi. Didn't have to have an agenda, but just to check in on them, make sure they were okay. I would play the other side of the coin and say that the individual contributor that's two or three levels down doesn't always know how to talk to someone like yourself. I agree. Uh, that's what I think. So I guess you kind of have to come with the, uh, a set of questions you want to ask or be the the more talkative of the two so you can set them at ease. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like it's super easy right now when I'm doing them because I'm new to public sector. So, you know, I can just say, you know, I'd love to learn more about your customers, you know, let me know, you know, what do you think that the trend is, you know, what's going on in the industry, what's resonating with them more. So usually those are kind of the, my icebreaker questions, but I really want to know those answers too. So. And that way they don't really have to prepare anything, but it's more talking about them, their customers, their career, but I will definitely lead the conversation. So they don't, but I, I always let my leaders know, Hey, 
I'm going to have this conversation, let them know not to panic. <laughs> They're not in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you have to get past the principal's office feeling. Yeah, I try to also tell the organization that, like in an all hands so that they know. And usually what I do is, or how I've done it is, you know, I kind of let people come to me and then the word kind of gets out, oh, you know, she's, she's not so hard to talk to. <laughs> but yeah, if you're the type that just comes in from scratch and starts putting on your calendar, that might be a little hard or scary. But I tried to, you know, tell them more about myself too. Like that's kind of what my all hands was, you know, kind of sharing some about myself too. Because I think that's important. But I think it's, so I think it's on both sides. You have to make sure that you're being vulnerable. You're sharing something about yourself if you expect others to share with you. That makes sense. Like kind of modeling the behavior, right? In order to get the behavior that you want as an output. I can see that. I wanted to circle back to a conversation that we, a topic that we had about technical career paths. And now that you're in a more executive position, do you have a perspective on that that's different from when you were in that technical career path, um, promoting it as a as an option, you know, to make sure that people are taking advantage, or you know, understand that it's okay to not <laughs> move up if they if you know that's not their aspiration, you know. Um, so, it, just wondering about your perspective on that. I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. Are you saying what what is my personal opinion on which for me personally or how I help somebody navigate that? No, I, I'm sorry. Maybe, yeah, I, I can see that I wasn't clear. So there's a perspective from the career, the person who has this career and who is thinking or needs advice on on how to go about progressing their technical career. But what I was asking about is your perspective as an executive in the organization who's promoting this technical career path, the importance of it, the kind of you know benefits that the organization hopes to get out of it. If you could maybe talk about that a little bit, because I don't think that necessarily people understand like what, you know, hey, you know, eventually I want to be, you know, principal, you know, solution engineer. Well, why does the organization even have that title? You know, what is the benefit to the organization of having, you know, a title tree and a, a technical career path that goes up and up and up? Yes, definitely. No, thank you for that clarification. So I think it's no different, um, John, than when I have, um, as I spoke, uh, kind of an individual development plan or an IDP conversation with somebody. So I remember my my um, one of my first line leadership roles, and I had taken over the Southeast team or the field SD teams, and I started having these IDP conversations with them, and they never had it before. And I remember um, one of my SDs freaked out about it, right? Anyway, so I had this um, conversation with this um, engineer of mine. Um, he's from Atlanta, Georgia. And it's funny because... Um, he still works at Veritas and he reaches out to me every now and then and always wishes me a happy birthday or something. He's like, you're the best manager I ever, I ever had. Cause you asked me what I wanted to do in my career, but he was really freaked out because he was like, I just want to be an SE. And he'd been an SE for a long time, maybe 10, 15 years. And so he thought for sure that I was telling him he had to be a manager or that he had to have some type of IDP filled out, right? Like a real formal thing. And I want to say that he was, um, he might've been a principal, and, and principals were different semantic than they are here. So I think the next step would have been senior principal. So, you know, that conversation could have just been, hey, I want to be a senior principal. But he wasn't really interested in, in title. I mean, he was really good at his job. He was an architect. But I remember the pause that I gave him. It really scared him. And he felt very uncomfortable. And I wanted him to know that it was very individual. And it was just that, you know, if he wants to be an SE for the rest of his life, I said, that's phenomenal. And that you are so far ahead of everybody else because you, you love what you do and you want to keep doing it. And that's great, you know. So I had to explain to him. It wasn't like, oh 
gosh, I'm going to have this opinion again, being judged, right? Like he's thinking, oh gosh, she thinks I'm not ambitious. And <laughs> I think it's very individual. And I think it's very much, you know, is, is what you are doing today engage you? Does it excite you? Because I think that what I want as an executive is engaged employees and happy employees. A content employee is phenomenal, an excited employee, a passionate employee. That's that's what I want. So I think it's great that we have all these levels so that people can keep pushing themselves and keep growing. I am definitely a big fan of the growth mindset. I think it's really important. And, and some of my stories today, you can see that I kind of have a growth mindset because it's like that terrifies me, but I'm going to try it and I'm going to do it. Right. So that is part of having a growth mindset. But not everybody has that. Some people just really love what they do and they don't want to do anything else. They don't like change and people aren't great with change and people don't. They want to have the same set of customers and they're great with that. Some people are like, oh gosh, I've been covering the same set of customers forever. I want something different. Or I want to go from globals into commercial or from commercial into public sector. You know, there are people that, that want that. So, and like I said, every role is really important. So I think it's great that we have this diversity of roles and diversity of levels, because I think all of that works great in conjunction. It's, a, it's phenomenal as a whole and you need everybody in all the individual roles. We can't all be leaders, right? You can't have all, all chiefs and no Indians and you can't have all Indians and no chiefs, right? So um we definitely um, have to make sure that everybody is in the role they're supposed to be in for them individually at the time. And sometimes, like I said, the time matters because work-life balance works in there sometimes too. And there's things going on in your life. And maybe you do want that big role or you want to go for a gated role like here at VMware, which is principal, but you know, it's going to be a, a year investment, a lot of hard work. So maybe it's something you push for, you know, next year. Or maybe maybe three years from now, when my my kids are out of are out of college, you know, whatever it is that's going on in your life, I think that matters too. I think you have to look at it holistically. I love it. I just want to say thank you so much, Yvette, for taking the time with us. If anybody out there listening wants to follow up with you, how can they get in touch with you? Um, feel free to um, connect with me on LinkedIn, Yvette Edwards, the ISSP, um, and just send a note, say hi, and I would love to to chat with anyone. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes and make sure that people have, people can find them and get in touch with you. Thanks again for spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Nick, I found it really interesting that Yvette's entry into management was really about helping out the team. And it was the team that really went to her and said, hey, you really should be investigating this management job because you know, you're the one who's actually doing the work of, of helping us out. And having that be really the, I don't know, I guess the kick in the pants that, that got her going. It's a really interesting management origin story yeah and it goes back to the point i made about not necessarily being able to see that we have those qualities in ourselves but someone else recognizing them uh, it's just a really cool story to get the random interview meeting for the manager job and then uh, to your point go back and ask the team and they're like well you should do that you're already doing that i found that hilarious like hey i haven't applied for the job it's like it doesn't matter i'm interviewing you for it anyway <laughs> well and that wasn't the first time something like that happened to her was it no it wasn't it was not a sign of uh competence and and having you know i guess 
what other people have talked about as a brand within an organization. Yep. I know that's something that infuriates you. Whenever I'm, I'm feeling uh, salty, I bring it up. Personal brand. No, no problem. <laughs> this is a, an audio medium, but I will note that Nick is twitching every time I say the phrase personal brand. He's just trying to get me back for triggering him in one of the last few episodes. So I get it. It's cool. It's true. Pretty soon you're going to be taking jabs at math teachers and then I'm really going to lose it. <laughs> and then you'll you'll say something about um, how are you supposed to know how to dress to an interview, John? Episode nine, best John White rant ever. Go listen to it. <laughs> We're going to get that as like the top episode just because I'm going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> oh, you know, back to the episode, the double challenge of being elevated to a second level manager maybe that's called a senior manager or director it doesn't matter what that terminology is but you're basically managing managers and at the same time having to build out a channel organization from scratch you know that's a double whammy i thought that that was you know really really interesting to have to learn to do both those things at the same time just because you're a director in an organization doesn't mean that you're going to be building out new organizations from scratch in every single one of those roles so like i said double whammy don't know how else to describe that. Well, and it also doesn't mean that you're going to have to have an international scope for your organization either. I mean, she had done national, but this was international and, of course, brings with it nuances that, that come with the enlarged scope. Triple whammy. Triple whammy. The interesting thing that I heard about being elevated to the VP level was immediately discussing how to stay in touch with people one and two levels below. And there is that conundrum of hearing from those people, but at the same time bypassing the filters that you had intentionally set up, right? Like in general, the way you want an organization to run is people have concerns, they raise them to their manager, the manager kind of aggregates those and filters some out and then says, hey, we're going to handle these at our level, and then we're going to raise you know, some of these to the next level. And they, they go up, eventually getting to the VP, hearing the most significant ones. But at the same time, as a VP, wanting to bypass that process and, and hear some of those unfiltered you know, issues. It, it could be you know, issues within the organization, but it could be you know, kudos and, and congratulations and, and great things too you know, that also probably get filtered on the way up just really interesting to hear that you know setting up the filters and then bypassing the filters well and the conversation about how do we talk to our senior leaders without feeling like we're in the principal's office what do they want to hear about what should we tell them you know it's kind of awkward in a way because you just don't talk to them that much and you may not really know them as a person very true and it's difficult to without doing the job since that's probably a job that we haven't done understand what that person cares about on the other hand, that's pretty important for us to do our jobs better, right? Is to understand people who are above us, one, two, three, even maybe even more levels, and try to put ourselves in their shoes. Imagine the things that they are concerned about. And whenever we get a chance to have that conversation, say, hey, I imagine that this is what you're concerned about, but you know, I would love to get your feedback on that in my you know, near the point, you know, am I off by several significant digits? Like what, what's going on, you know, in my imagination, the contrast between my imagination and then the truth. That's a great point. 
when you meet with someone who has done a job like that that you have not several levers above, make sure you have some questions that you want to ask, things you want to know about, because they're going to have a perspective on things that you just can't have because of their position in the yeah. organization. So knowing that and getting that insight is going to make you better. It is. And I say that not as necessarily somebody who's you know, exclusively looking at from a, a sales engineering point of view. Correct. Of course, when you're a sales engineer, you want to have empathy with people who are at a managerial director and executive level and put yourself in their shoes and, and do some you know serious research into what they care about because you're involved in a sales cycle to that organization. But as we've, I think, said repeatedly on the show before, you are involved in a sales cycle up the chain of command in your own organization, whether or not you know it. You're trying to sell them on your projects, what you think is important, the fact that your organization and your team is important and that you are having an impact. All of those things, you know, need to move up the chain. And maybe you find out, you know, from somebody that what you're doing actually isn't viewed as important by the organization. If you have that realization, you know, somehow, then you know, maybe that's a time to move jobs, move into a part of the organization or start doing things that actually are important. Good point. Speaking of moves, I have to highlight the move Yvette made from that national scope manager back to an individual contributor. And then, of course, back to management. I think that highlights for everybody that it's okay to shift gears. If you do go to management, you can come back. And really key in on what Yvette said about the timing in your life. Maybe we haven't called it out enough, but other guests have talked about timing being important. Andrew Miller, in his trilogy of episodes, talked about being in a hyper-growth startup and just being too oversubscribed to really spend the time with his kids that he wanted. It wasn't the right time for Stephanie Wong to take the job at Google the first time because it wasn't what she wanted. She wanted to right. wait for an engineer type role. So timing has come up in a lot of other conversations and maybe we haven't hammered that point as hard as we should. It may be the right opportunity, but just really the wrong time in your life to consider it. Right. Or to say yes Which to it. Which makes it the wrong opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A great opportunity at the wrong time. And I think maybe one of the points that we should make a little bit later on is having the discipline to say no. Yes. To those opportunities because you know by definition like you, you should you should know about the things that you need and don't need in you know the things that have to happen and cannot happen in a good role for you and if you have something that violates one of those things that you know that do not cross this line type of line you should be able to say no to that job like maybe it's as severe as listen i just i can't cross certain ethical boundaries and, you know, that job is going to require that I do that. Or, you know, I, I really want to focus on this type of technology and, and that job is outside that tech, that area of, of technology that I really want to stay in. Otherwise, it's, you know, absolutely perfect, but I actually need this specific thing. And so, again, maybe it's just a timing thing and later on you'll be interested in that area of technology or, or whatever it is. Maybe later on you'll be, you know, absolutely willing to compromise, you know, ethical boundaries. <laughs> maybe not that one. <laughs> right. Maybe you will have softened your ethics by then. That's a, that's great, John. 
appreciate you encouraging our listeners to do that. Does that, no, does that come no, with no. age or experience? No, absolutely not. It 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 hardens it actually. It's you you start to see things a little bit more clearly as uh or maybe you just draw more severe lines actually. There you go. Yeah. I think yeah, it's a very thought provoking conversation that I've gone back and listened to uh more than one time, which is uh saying something for me. Fascinating conversation. Hey John, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think just a reminder again that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a pause review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. We'd like to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore for John White at The Journeyman. Signing off. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>